Welcome to Great and Glorious. Yes, Great and Glorious is back from its somewhat lengthy hiatus. More about that next week when we come back with our next full episode. But today we're starting a new feature here on Great and Glorious, Great and Glorious Homily Edition. Today's homily, as the title suggests, is for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost and is focusing on the predominant fault. The scripture readings are Galatians 5.25 to 6.10, and Luke 7, 11 to 16. Today's homily is based upon the epistle. Let's listen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. One of St. Paul's favorite topics is life in the Spirit or as we tend to call it nowadays, more simply, the spiritual life. St. Paul's term is probably more illustrative, however, of what we are striving for. Through our baptism and confirmation, the Holy Ghost has taken up residence in our souls and is busily at work conforming us more and more closely to Christ. But as we know, God respects our freedom. And if we work against the Holy Ghost, then he will stand back, metaphorically speaking, of course, and allow us to undo his work. If we truly want to live in the Spirit with the Holy Ghost accomplishing and perfecting his efforts within us, then we need to do our part as well, which, as St. Paul points out in today's epistle, includes overcoming our faults. And there is one fault in particular that we must all overcome if we ever hope to become saints, the one that each of us individually is drawn to more than any other, otherwise known as our predominant fault. Our predominant fault, as the name suggests, is the one that tends to predominate over all the others, and thus over our manner of feeling, of judging, of willing, and of acting. It tends to have a close relationship with our temperament. As for example, some temperaments are more inclined to sloth, others to gluttony and sensuality, others to anger and pride. It's like a crack in a wall that seems to be solid, but it has a fatal weakness that can cause it to crumble if it is struck in just the right place. Our predominant fault is so dangerous as it often compromises our principal good point, the natural virtue that we tend to excel in above all the others. For example, a man who is naturally inclined to gentleness, but if his predominant fault is pusillanimity, then his gentleness degenerates into weakness. Another person, on the contrary, may be inclined to fortitude, But if he gives into his predominant fault of anger, then his fortitude becomes cruelty, 
perhaps even violence. So if we give free rein to our predominant fault, we become like the wheat field overrun by weeds. Since it is of prime importance to eliminate our predominant fault, the first thing we obviously need to do is to identify it and to have no illusions about it, especially as our adversary knows our fault quite well and makes good use of it, exploiting it like a general sending his troops against his enemy's weakest defense. Now, for beginners in the spiritual life, it's often an easier task because as we progress in our spiritual lives, our predominant fault begins to disguise itself as a virtue, such as pride, taking on the outward appearance of magnanimity or pusillanimity, clothing itself in the appearance of humility. Yet we must succeed in discerning our predominant fault because if we do not, then we cannot fight it and we will never truly have the life of the Spirit. In order to discern it, we must begin by asking God for light. We may pray like this, Lord, make me know the obstacles I more or less consciously place in the way of the working of thy grace in me. Then give me the strength to rid myself of them, and if I am negligent in doing so, do thou deign to free me from them, though I should suffer greatly. After praying for light, then we must undertake a serious examination of ourselves, asking us, Toward what does my ordinary preoccupations tend in the morning when I wake up, when I'm alone? Where do my thoughts and desires spontaneously go? Next, we can ask ourselves, what is generally the cause of my sadness and joy? What is the general motive of my actions, the ordinary origin of my sins? Especially when it's a question of sins that are not accidental but rather if it's a succession of sins or a state of resistance to grace, notably when this resistance persists for several days and leads me to omit my exercises of piety. We could also ask our spiritual director what he thinks our predominant fault might be, especially if we have known him for some time. The predominant fault also experiences a particular repugnance to being unmasked. What fault am I particularly touchy about, especially when somebody else brings it up? Lastly, in moments of true fervor, what is the inspiration of the Holy Ghost's will asking us to sacrifice? What fault does the Holy Ghost ask us to sacrifice? If we have recourse to these different means of discernment, then it will not be too difficult for us to recognize this interior enemy within ourselves. Because the predominant fault is our principal interior enemy, then we must combat it if we wish to live the life of the spirit. The predominant fault is not conquered, however, as long as there is no true progress in the spiritual life. But if we are striving for progress, then we can employ the three principal means to combat our fault, prayer, the particular examine, and a sanction. First, our prayer must be sincere. Again, we might pray, Lord, show me the principal obstacle to my sanctification, the one that hinders me from profiting by graces and also by the exterior difficulties that would work to the good of my soul if I had greater recourse to thee when they arise. We might also borrow the prayers of the saints. Saint Louis Bertrand prayed, Lord, here burn, 
here cut. Dry up in me all that hinders me from going to thee, that thou mayest spare me in eternity. Blessed Nicholas of Flue used to pray, Lord, take from me everything that hinders me from going to thee. Give me all that will lead me to thee. Take me from myself. Give me to thyself. Of course, sincere prayer doesn't dispense us from self-examination. Rather, it should lead to it. In the particular examine, we focus not on all of our faults and sins, but rather on our predominant fault, writing down each day or each week the number of times that we have yielded to that fault that seems to rule us like a despot. Finally, it's highly profitable to impose a sanction or a penance on ourselves each time we fall into this defect. It could take the form of a prayer, a moment of silence, an exterior or interior mortification. It makes reparation for the fault and satisfaction for the penalty due to it. At the same time, we acquire more attentiveness for the future. Just think of those who have cured themselves of the habit of cursing by imposing upon themselves the obligation of giving alms in reparation each time they fall, something we might know as the swear jar. It has been said that when it comes to fighting our predominant fault, the spiritual combat is more necessary than the victory. Because if we dispense ourselves from the struggle, then we abandon the life of the spirit and we no longer tend towards perfection. We must never make peace with our faults. When our Lord comes to us in Holy Communion today, let us ask for the graces we need to identify our predominant fault and fight mightily against it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for joining us once again for today's episode of Great and Glorious. You can find us at our new location at greatandglorious.buzzsprout.com. Please subscribe if you haven't already done so. We're on all of your favorite podcasting apps. And until next time, oremos pro invicium. Let us pray for one another.